electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, nationwide protests demand equality, and two CEOs urge their peers to lead the corporate charge for change. Melody Hobson, co-CEO of Ariel, the largest African-American-owned investment firm in the U.S., on going beyond the press release. I have to say that corporate America talk is cheap. You know, I've talked about the fact that, say, we're working on diversity in a, in a company is unacceptable to me because in corporate America, we don't work on anything else. And making real change at the top. The role of the CEO and the role of the corporation has changed. And while many might want to sit out these issues, they can't. They literally can't. Randall Stevenson, the outgoing CEO of AT&T, argues that inequality is not a political issue. Free markets don't work in an environment where a large class of our people are perceiving and experiencing injustice. And we should talk about it, really talk about it. All of us CEOs have large African-American employee bodies that we owe it to them to make sure that we're speaking to this and just say it, we got a problem. It's Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. America saw another night of protests. Officials in cities coast to coast have implemented curfews, hoping to prevent further violence sparked by response to the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. All this comes as public safety resources are already stretched while cities continue to fight the coronavirus pandemic. On Squawk Box with Joe, Becky, and Andrew, we heard from Melody Hobson. She is co-CEO of the largest minority-owned investment firm, Ariel Investments, which has more than $10 billion in assets under management. Outside of Ariel, Hobson is a nationally recognized voice on financial literacy and has conducted extensive research on minority investing patterns. She also serves as vice chair on the board of Starbucks, a director for J.P. Morgan Chase, and a director of Quibi. And as you'll hear, Melody Hobson is making a call to action to the American business community, saying that when it comes to having a truly diverse and inclusive workforce, talk is cheap. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Before we even begin, what's your personal visceral reaction to to everything you've seen over over the past several days? It's so hard to put into words how you feel when you're a person who walks around this country with brown skin, no matter what your economic status. You know you're black, first and foremost, and I always feel that wherever I go. Um, I have to say there's a despair and sadness and certainly a level of anger and I'm horrified. I watched someone be murdered over eight and a half minutes, murdered, not die, not killed, murdered. And to watch something like that is you never forget. It's chilling. But we've seen it over and over and over again. And that's the problem. We know all the names, Freddie Gray, Trayvon Martin, Flando Crestiel, Brianna Taylor. I mean, we could go on and on in our community. We know those names. And we know that it could be us. And I know that sounds dramatic, but it's actually true. So, so Melody, you know, you're on the boards of some of America's most important companies. Um, 
you are a, are a large investor. What do you think that business can and should do? We've heard a lot from a number of leaders who put out statements over the weekend. What do you think the business community should be doing? Well, I've talked about this a lot. And Andrew, you know, I did a speech at DealBook where I said I was waiting for a corporate yep. Kaepernick in reference to Colin Kaepernick and what he gave up for his beliefs, peacefully protesting the death of black people in America unlawfully. Um, I have to say that corporate America talk is cheap. You know, I've talked about the fact that, say, we're working on diversity in a, in a company is unacceptable to me because in corporate America, we don't work on anything else. We don't work on improving our earnings. We don't work on meeting our product deadlines or for our product launch. We don't you either do or do not. As my husband, uh, you know, boldly wrote about Yoda, there is no try. And if you don't get it done, you get fired. But when it comes to diversity, for whatever reason, this has been this ongoing struggle where it just we can't move the needle. I love the saying math has no opinion, none, just count. And when you count and you see in at the highest levels of corporate America, all the way down the chain, the differences in the numbers and how people of color, black and brown Americans, underrepresented minorities do not show up in the numbers that we exist in this country. That is not acceptable. And so what, mis- what must we do? Hold ourselves accountable in corporate America. Set targets like we set targets on everything else. Incentivize people. You get what you incent. Be very clear and very bold about what the expectations are. And if we do that like we do everything else, I mean, corporate America is run by all-stars. They are used to winning. If we do that like we do everything else, we would see this needle move. Because so much of this... Uh, this this unrest, this civil unrest is tied to economic inequality. That's just a fact. And we need to move the needle on this economic inequality. The one thing I love about Ken Frazier, who's a friend and is just a stellar CEO, there's no question about it, but he also, he counts. We read annual reports for a living at Ariel. And when you read the Merck annual report, he lays out all of their diversity numbers, all of them in a way that I've not seen companies do. And therefore he's very transparent and therefore says, hold me accountable to these numbers each and every year that he puts out that annual report. That's to be applauded and it's to be emulated. Well, let me ask you about that because then there's the investment community, which is at least in in, in the world of the markets, the the community that effectively does hold uh, managements and companies to account and how much emphasis you really think the investment community places on this particular issue? There's a lot of conversation about it. And certainly with the rise of ESG, um, there's been more conversations about these issues than ever before when you think about the G part, the governance. But I think we still have a long way to go. And we need to understand as an investment community what our power is. We have a lot of power and we can use our power to move this needle. So first and foremost, let's start with boards of directors. We vote those proxies. If boards are not diverse, we can withhold our votes. When Jerry Brown was leaving office in California, he put in a law that ultimately he said, I know it might be struck down by court. But he said he was unhappy with the fact that 25% of companies in California, 25% in California of all places of companies had all white male boards. And he felt that that was unacceptable. And so he wanted to see those boards diversified. Well, we as investors... We hold the keys to the kingdom with those proxy votes. And we can say we will not vote for this slate 
if we don't see diversity. There, I celebrate Goldman Sachs in the statement that David Solomon made, where he said, we're not even bringing companies public if they don't have a diverse board. That is bold. That is, again, putting your money where your mouth is and ultimately saying, I'm going to be about the solution and moving the needle on this issue. Let's also look at the investment industry. I'm in the mutual fund business. Look at the boards of directors of mutual funds. I've been saying this is another area, enormous power that is there in terms of America's retirement money. When you look at the boards, I think the last data I saw, 28% of the boards had women on them, 4 to 5% African-American. I mean, these numbers are, they, they, they tell the story of how far we have to go. And to the extent you move those boards, people on those boards start asking companies questions about leadership. Leadership ultimately becomes more diverse. That filters down through the organizations. I'm all for more interns, but I like to start at the top. Melly, let me ask you a complicated question. And we talked to Ken a little bit about this as well. You know, there's, there's I don't want to say there's only so much the private sector can do, but clearly over time, this is this is a private sector issue, but also a public sector issue and therefore a political issue. And the question right now is, if you are a leader of a company, uh, how engaged in this issue you want to become and can become politically, given the polarization of this country and how you think leaders should approach it? I think we're in a situation now in corporate America where the role of the CEO and the role of the corporation has changed. And while many might want to sit out these issues, they can't. They literally can't. We've now been pulled into so many issues as corporate America from mental health issues. You have to worry about uh, live shooters to issues related to um, inequality to issues related to obviously public health in ways that CEOs never expected that they would have to live or work or think or prepare. It is a new day. It also is a new day to the extent that government cannot step up in some of these ways. And I think there is some disillusionment with government, whereas before government was leading the charge. When you look back to the 1960s, you see the Civil Rights Act and some of the major places where we saw true uh, diversity and inclusion happen was in government because they had to uphold the law. That's why it's no accident when you look at television and you see all these black mayors, which I think is a true testament to what happened and what was effective. And they're doing a great job. But I have to say that that corporations now, unfortunately, have to take on more responsibility. And we've seen that everything from uh, healthcare to a whole host of issues that, again, are front and center and have landed on the desk of the leader. Two other quick questions. Reparations. Do you have a view on that? I'm all for righting wrongs. Now, the question is, how do you do it? I'm not sure that there is a political appetite for something like that in America. But I do believe I believe in affirmative action. I believe in reparations. Our country was built on free labor. Free. That's great math. Again, I go back to math has no opinion. If you could build a business and not pay for labor, you've got great a great economic imbalance probably in your favor. It doesn't work, however, long term. And at some point, the chickens come home the roost. I don't know how we right those wrongs financially. I'd like to right those wrongs in terms of opportunity, educational opportunity, job opportunities, again, leadership opportunities in this country. There are 300 million Americans plus. There are a lot of people capable of doing great work inside of corporate America. They just need the chance to do it. And then lastly, you have a huge influence both in Hollywood and also in Silicon Valley. And I'm curious how you think about social media in this age, because we were talking actually in the last hour about how 
actually, in many ways, many people would have not seen uh, so much of the, of the, of the terrible things and, 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 and terrible images that uh, created these protests and created uh, this outrage and may create a, a new hope, actually, for people in the end. But at the same time, social media has been uh, criticized for disinformation, for polarization and all of it. Where do you think the balance comes out or should be? What do you think that Silicon Valley leaders like Mark Zuckerberg and, and Jack Dorsey, what they should be publishing, what they shouldn't be publishing? Well, let me start off by saying I don't want to overstate any role I've had. I've never had any former role in Silicon Valley. And I'll say this with some um, intention to my words. I don't know of any senior black person who really does. I don't know anyone. And you name someone for me who does or Hispanic. Um, what I would say is that I applaud Jack Dorsey's efforts. I think it's very courageous and very, very, very bold. It's also the right thing to do. I felt great when he took the political ads down, especially since he said, I don't want to have things that just aren't true. And I think the statements and what he's doing right now, just to make sure you check all inappropriate behavior, no matter who it comes from, that that is the right way for a business to work. Whatever the rules are, they should apply to everyone. That's what we as black people want. That's why sports works. You know, the, the free, th free throw line doesn't move if Michael Jordan's at the line versus someone else. That's what makes it fair and that, that's what makes it possible for us to be great. And so when you look at what Jack Dorsey has done there, I actually think he's, think he's really made the statement that we're going to do what we say we're going to do. And I would hope that that leadership is followed by others. I really expect that of them. I think these are well-intentioned people who want to do the right thing. And unfortunately, doing the right thing often puts you in a very uncomfortable situation. But that's why he get paid the big bucks. Melody Hobson, uh, it's a privilege to have you on the broadcast this morning. We appreciate your candor and your insight. And thank you so very, very much. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, AT&T chairman and CEO Randall Stevenson vocally defended the Black Lives Matter movement in 2016 in the wake of the fatal shooting of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and the protests that followed. Now, in 2020, he has advice for his fellow CEOs on how to build a different future. Give people license to talk about these issues, whether it's racial uh, discrimination or on, based on religion or sexual orientation. Have these conversations. Then provide forums for these conversations. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You are listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Becky Quick. AT&T has temporarily closed its Dallas headquarters after the building there was damaged in protest over the weekend. Our next guest is AT&T's chairman and CEO, Randall Stevenson. We want to focus not just on the current crisis in America, but also on the search for solutions Stevenson, of course, no stranger to encouraging difficult conversations in, in corporate America. In fact, back in 2016, audio from his comments to employees on Black Lives Matter was released, and it got a lot of attention. Tolerance is for cowards. Being tolerant 
Being tolerant requires nothing from you but to be quiet and to not make waves. Holding tightly to your views and judgments without being challenged. Do not tolerate each other. Work hard. Move into uncomfortable territory and understand each other. Randall Stevenson joins us right now. And Randall, it's really good to see you. You are somebody who has been a leader in many ways in corporate America, everything from the head of the business roundtable uh, to the head of the Scouts of America. And you have always believed in kind of speaking out and, and, and taking tough positions on this. Uh, we appreciate your time today. And I'm just wondering what you're thinking in the aftermath of everything thing we've seen in recent weeks. Oh, <laughs> I'm thinking here we go again. Uh, that was 2016 when we made that talk, and it's it's interesting to reflect on what had just transpired at that moment. You know, there had been a, an unarmed black man shot by law enforcement in Ferguson, Missouri. An individual had just been shot in Minneapolis, uh, Baton Rouge, and then it was kind of culminated a block from our headquarters there in Dallas. Five police officers were killed, kind of as a result and, and a lead-in from all of these activities that were going on, and and. You know, a lot of things were done. Uh, I know the Dallas police, law enforcement and so forth, made some protocol and, and procedural changes that were intended to address this. But here we are four years later, and it feels like we're going through an instant replay. And I, I just wonder, you know, what, why are we so slow to learn, you know, what, what is going to be required to begin to address this situation? And that comment about tolerance, every time we speak about race relations in this country, we tend to migrate to this idea of tolerance. And I mean, man, we're so far beyond tolerance. This is this is about justice, and this is about doing justice, and uh, and then making sure that we're putting in place procedures, and, and even begin to talk about are there things we need to do in lawmaking to begin to to address what seem to be constant and recurring injustices in the black community as it relates to their interaction with law enforcement. So. Be honest with you, I'm a little, I'm a little just disheartened, maybe even brokenhearted about what we're seeing transpire here. Randall, you made some comments to me over the weekend uh, about how you think business leaders should have much to say about this. That there's a real reason for that. That business leaders should be standing up and, and, and saying something. And we've had a lot of companies that have put out statements. It's, it, it's not always easy for a CEO with everything they're already dealing with, with the pandemic, with problems in the economy, with concerns about their workforce, to get out and, and stand in front and say something. Why do you think it's so important that business leaders speak out? Well, you heard Tom Friedman talk about how this, this legitimate cause for protest is being hijacked by a violent, riotous element. And, and he's right. But what we, I don't think, appreciate and, and what we don't talk about enough is if you go talk to the, the African-American employees in our companies, and if you ask them, be honest with me, how do you feel about this? You're going to be surprised at what you hear. They relate to this injustice. They relate to uh, this, this situation of law enforcement and how black people are treated differently. Becky, I, after that talk that I gave in 2016, a very prominent CEO of a, of a company and this individual, if I were to say his name, everybody that is in your viewership would know him. I'll never forget him coming up to me with his wife, talking about his instructions to his teenage children. If they're driving home at night into a very prestigious neighborhood there in New York, they're black. And he tells them, if it's after dark, roll up your windows, turn down the music. And if you happen to get stopped by police, get out of the car and immediately put your hands on the roof. Now, this is a very prominent 
African-American businessman and, and well-to-do. And I'm thinking to myself when he told me that, you know, I, don't, I never gave that instruction to my kids. I never told my kids to behave that way and, and to, to respond that way to law enforcement. In fact, I always took great comfort in, in law enforcement being around if my children were out at night. But I, I'm just the only point being the African-American community is viewing this consistently. And it's a pervasive view. And so all of us CEOs have large African-American employee bodies that we owe it to them to make sure that we're speaking to this and that we're asking our policymakers to step up. That we're asking our political leaders to step up and recognize and just say it. We got a problem. We have a big problem and it needs to be dealt with. How do companies take hardcore responses, aside from pushing their, their legislators, aside from pushing their elected leaders, aside from making their voices known, how do you as a company and a corporate leader try and make changes within your own, within your own realm, within your own company? Are there actual programs that you're working on that, that you've had success with or maybe programs you've tried and you haven't had success with? No, we, that, starting in 2016, we initiated a number of of initiatives and, and programs that have had a, a significant impact within AT&T. But I, I would actually suggest to you that companies like AT&T and others, you know, we're very adept at, at make, uh, affecting change in Washington if it's a priority. And I think we are now looking at an area that is a priority for business. And, and look, business, let's just be honest, it's, we have a moral imperative to address this, but business doesn't work. Free markets don't work in an environment where a large class of our people are perceiving and experiencing injustice. And in social unrest is not exactly conducive to a, a functioning free market economy. And so we have an imperative to, to begin to use our, our muscle and our influence to begin to affect policy change to address this. And I think we as business leaders are going to need to put our shoulder into this and begin to try to move the ball. So, Randall, it's like... 2020. <clears throat> and, you know, we've this has been, you know, my entire life I've been watching things like this. And, and we had Ken Frazier on yesterday, CEO of Merck, said very right. similar things. Uh, you probably saw him said very similar things to what you said. I've seen Senator Tim Scott uh, on TV say that he's been pulled over or harassed seven, eight, nine times in recent years for, for what he said was driving while black. So. And I understand, and, and I've, you know, police, it's, they got a really tough job, but they also have, you know, they're wearing a gun and they have absolute power a lot of times. So I understand that there's a problem there, but what about society in general? If you, you know, we had this woman in Central Park that, that recently just stereotyped, assumed that it was a black male, so she was in, I mean, we've got to change society, at, uh, not just police, but all of our perceptions, I think, or many perceptions. Yeah, Joe, I, look, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a social scientist, and, and I don't think we can begin to think about public policies that correct racism. I mean, racism is what it is. But what we do, and the way our, our, our system works, is we enact laws to control the bad angels in our human nature. And I think it's time that we begin to ask those questions about what are the laws that need to be implemented to address this. And I just give you a classic example. And by the way, I Cory Booker put out a piece that I thought was very thoughtful, very balanced, and very rational. But one of the key proposals in it, and I, I will articulate it this way, there's a, a philosophy that Rudy Giuliani made prominent about broken windows policing. 
And what's the whole premise of this? You walk into a neighborhood and you see a lot of broken windows. It just sends a signal that we are tolerant of crime. And the question I have is, do we have policies within law enforcement that send a signal that we are tolerant of discrimination? And a classic example is racial profiling. If I were to use those kind of policies with an AT&T, I would rightly be terminated, fired, and probably sued. But we allow, we, we actually have, have uh, systems, we have procedures that allow for, for racial profiling. And, and what does that say? That says, just like broken windows, we have a tolerance for racial discrimination in law enforcement. Those kind of policies need to be challenged. Every mayor, every chief of police in the United States ought to answer to their constituency whether that is good and proper and best serving the communities where they operate. Randall, um, I just want to ask you how you think you can do this, how, how a business leader does this, because ultimately, and I hate to say this, but it is political, and there are political ideology and beliefs on all sides of this. And frankly, I, I think it would it, be unfair for me not to say that, uh, you know, if, if, if you're a company that's trying to uh, – eke out the, the greatest profit or, or just profit in general. There's a view that Democrats are not going to necessarily help you with that. Maybe they'll help you on some of these racial issues in ways the Republicans won't. Um, you know, should companies give to the Republican Governors Association, which has been involved with gerrymandering along racial, uh, racial lines for years? And so there are real issues about how you even approach this, because it, I know everybody wants to say it's apolitical, but it is political. And the question is, how do you actually break through that? This is about justice, Andrew. And, and when you're dealing with issues of just basic core justice, then every CEO, every leader in America needs to step up and ask what's the right thing to do. And every senator and every congressman and the president of the United States need to ask what's the right thing to do. In the 1960s, AT&T was one of the first companies to come out and endorse the civil rights movement. And you can imagine how that went over and the controversy surrounding that. Can you imagine looking back now, somebody saying, I would not support the civil rights movement, but somebody had to step out and be first. And I think this is another one of these examples where companies and CEOs need to step out and say, we need to work towards justice. That's what we're talking about. We're not, we're not talking about trying to fix discrimination or prejudice. We're talking about justice. And how do we address and ensure that we have policies? We begin to put in place policies that, that provide justice for all of our citizens, not just a few. We cannot have a, a significant portion of our, of our demographic feeling like they have no recourse to justice. Hey, Randall, um, these are big, big thoughts and, 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 and heavy things to lift. Is this something that you have discussed uh, with other members of the Business Roundtable? Is this something you've discussed with other CEOs? Is it, I mean, this is an incredible message, but as you pointed out yourself, this is a, a message that, that you made very vocal back in 2016. What, what kind of buy-in have you gotten from others, and where do you think this fight heads next? So in 2016, following that talk that I gave, one of the, the requests from my employee body was, please, sh please communicate this with your peers. And, and I did. I, I spent a lot of time with my peers on this. And... And it, it had the right effect. People began talking about this issue openly. I have not had a significant number of these conversations with my peers yet on this matter. I have been working from an internal standpoint. We have a, an employee body that 
that's always my first priority because uh, the employees they they they're concerned they're they're dealing with this and they're grappling with this and and our our political leaders aren't offering a lot of solutions and a lot of ideas and even context around what's going on. And so we're working a lot internally right now to make sure our employees know where we stand on this and then formulating our plans for how we go forward. But uh, you should assume Doug McMillan, that business roundtable, is working this issue hard. I am uh, fully in support of Doug and what he is proposing here. So uh, more to come, I hope, on this. Can we go back to the issue? I know, again, this is internally the things that you've been able to kind of put into uh, policies and programs into place internally. I ask about this not because I don't think most of the biggest companies aren't already doing things like this, but I don't think a lot of people know about some of those programs the big companies are doing. And I think it sets uh, a helpful example for smaller companies that haven't had time to kind of tackle some of these things, to talk about programs that do work, programs that maybe you've tried that don't work. What, what things have you had success with, maybe internally at at and Well, I will start with back in 2016. What we did was gave our employees, the, at that time, 300,000 employees, a license to talk about this. You need to talk about these issues of race. You need to understand how your black colleague in the cubby next to you feels about these protests. And what I think people begin to realize is how surprising it was that the guy who's in the cubby next to you, that other than his skin color, he looks, he acts, and he behaves like you, but is relating to a lot of what these people are, are, are expressing in these protests. And it's pervasive. And so I give people license, talk about these issues, whether it's Racial uh, discrimination or on based on religion or sexual orientation, have these conversations. Then provide forums for these conversations. And then provide feedback mechanisms to the senior leadership of the company. And we, uh, most companies in the United States now have employee resource groups where, where people of similar color or, or sexual orientation can come together and, and actually do things that, that, um, that, that, work for both the business as well as for the organizations, but empower those groups and give them a voice and give them a hearing inside your companies. And uh, so we, we have a number of these initiatives within AT&T that are, are proving to be effective. And, and you know, there's a lot of, if you know, I don't know how you judge the effectiveness of these things. Sometimes it's rather hard. But, you know, externally we get a lot of recognition. Diversity, you know, gave us the number one position in terms of working towards diversity and inclusion and ensuring all voices are heard. And, uh, and, and, and propagating policies externally. I, I think it's one thing to work internally, but are you, are you walking the walk? And uh, are, you, are you pushing externally to make changes that affect uh, instances of injustice like we're talking about here? Randall, I want to thank you for your time this morning, for um, your speaking out and, and pushing this forward along with your peers. And we'd love to offer the opportunity to continue these conversations here and uh, as you move forward with this. So we, we do appreciate your time. We hope you'll come back. And it's very good to see you. Good talking to you guys. Take care. Squawk Pod will be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday 
and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. And that's the show for today. Thank you for listening. On our rundown tomorrow, Alex Gorski, CEO of Johnson & Johnson, will continue this conversation of how corporate leaders are responding to unrest, inequality, and illness in America. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.